That's the name of this podcast, as well as of my webpage, Call Me Man. I'll be bringing you some messages based on what I'm currently thinking about. A lot of times I will be joined by an old friend who has been mind-walking with me for a while. Thanks for joining me. Please consider becoming a Patreon supporter. Patreon.com backslash call me Maggie. There are various levels of support. Okay, let's get to mind walk. I check the areas of my mind. I march the army across the line. Hello, everybody, and I'm here today with uh, actually two of my Patreon supporters. Who won the opportunity to speak to me face to face? No, no, no. Joy is actually my first Patreon supporter, and Rivka yeah. is my newest Patreon supporter. So these two people who are here today are Joy Harris and Rivka French. Uh, we're coordinating and working with each other on a new project. We're going to talk about that today a little bit. And uh, basically, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to allow them to introduce themselves and say a little bit about their background, where they're from, what they study, why they're interested in that, just real quickly. Uh, and we'll start with our newest person, Rivka, Rivka French. Howdy. Hi. I'm Rivka, um, and I'm a Houston-based uh, queer contemporary choreographer who has... Um, been dabbling a bit in the world of drag performance within the past six to nine months. Um, it's been something I've, I've been interested in with exploring gender um, and sexual orientation, but also uh, something really, a really cool opportunity during the pandemic because the theaters have been closed, but the bars have been open. And um, so it's, it's been a fun journey to combine um, my queer dance theory studies with um, with drag performance and contemporary dance and all the things that I uh, yeah that I was already interested in. Cool. And so meeting Joy during the pandemic and really relating to her um, as a performance lover, as an academic philosopher that she is. And then uh, meeting Maggie through Joy, with this really cool synchronicity um, that happened that led to this live performance that we're all doing, um, which is part of the, the very beginnings of the series called Drag the Live. For me, uh, I know it's also part of the series for Joy, mm -hmm. but the series of Drag the Live is a, 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 a several drag performance uh, inspired by contemporary dance and lots of other influences and uh, workshops as well as um, bringing drag to non-conventional settings so mm -hmm. forming drag with dance in bars but also bringing it to concert dance settings and theaters and galleries as they are reopening um, so all of this is kind of coming together into this fantastical wonderful um, performance next week mm -hmm. happening here in Houston 
where all of us are sort of coming out of our cocoons and it's like a show and tell of like this is something I've been working on and, and in conversation with this these new fun collaborators that I'm meeting mm -hmm. and so I want to show you and tell you what I've been doing and you tell me and then we'll make some great art out of it. Hopefully. Awesome. Yeah. That's great. Thank you so much. And uh, I'm really uh, happy to have uh, gotten to meet you and coordinate with you and work with you. And hopefully we'll do more projects. Uh, I'm going to switch over to Joy Harris and let her introduce herself so we know who she is, this driving force. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's scary. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm, Joy. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm Joy Harris. I'm Houston based also. Um, and I'm an artistic researcher, so I have a background in performance, politics, and um, philosophy. And so I've been lucky enough to sort of study all of these things academically, write more for um, like um, open, more open audiences, and be a creative practitioner myself. So I feel very fortunate in that. Um, I know Maggie. Um, I hate to say how long we've known each other. <laughs> I know Maggie from 20, when I was in 26 years. It, yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. I was an undergrad at Texas Women's University in Denton, and yeah. um, I um, I I cherish him so much because um, when I was a, a young a young budding philosopher sitting at a coffee shop table with a whole bunch of dudes. He was the one saying, no, 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 you must continue to do what you're doing. And, <laughs> I, and it's, it's true. So there were, um, philosophy continues to be a male dominated um, mm -hmm. discipline. And so um, Maggie was absolutely crucial t to me continuing my philosophical studies. So I appreciate that. Mm. And I know Rivka just recently because I, in the midst of pandemic, started doing safe social distance gatherings in my very large backyard and i had a friend who said i know this choreographer that you would just love and i'm gonna bring Rivka to your backyard and um so our acquaintance is very new but i found Rivka to be so insightful and thoughtful and i've had great conversations about um oh my gosh about just about <laughs> about everything at this point so I really truly value both of your um, points of view. Um, so I'm I'm excited to be doing this project, um, to be doing this project as well. Great. I'm very excited about this. I was really happy when you got in touch with me about it. I'm always uh, trepidatious about committing to anything that's more than two days in the future. But... <laughs> Because I have, I have a history, uh, you know, and I don't mind if I'm the one who's in complete in charge, like when I did conferences, but I don't organize conferences, but I've never been one who liked, you know, saying, okay, yes, I will be there on this day and I will do this thing. Don't worry about it. I usually panic, but this time I haven't because I realized, uh, and I'm going to say a little bit about myself too, just in case, you know, people that know y'all that are listening to this and have no fucking idea who I am. Uh, I'm Maggie Brown, or Maggie Malady <coughs> is my queer uh, anarchist name. I'm a PhD student at the University of North Texas. I consider myself a Socratic philosopher, so I don't actually like to write. Uh, I don't really like to present or do anything. And so I got into a situation here when you got in touch with me, I was really getting to the point where I didn't want to commit myself to anything else. 
I was kind of realizing that I wanted to, you know, not do meetings anymore. Then I realized uh, when I dropped out of a meeting last week at the last minute that I looked so much forward to doing this because it's a meeting of souls and a meeting of minds. It's not a meeting of people who are waiting to figure out how long they can, you know, until they can criticize what the fuck you're saying. So uh, I am really happy to be involved in all of this. And of course, my background is that I've basically lived as a philosopher uh, the last 30 years. Uh, and, you know, but I think that philosophy and poetry and art are, and dance and music are so entwined with each other. So I was really happy that, that you know, when you uh, got in touch about this. So <clears throat> what I would like to do right now is kind of pivot for a second and talk about, uh, Joy, if you would, the project that you got the grant from the Houston Arts Alliance and the city of Houston for that this is a part of. Could you tell yeah. us about that? Sure. So this is sort of a project that has evolved because of the pandemic. My original grant was for a project called Revolution, Scholars and Artists Rethinking Political Action. And so my, my grand plan was to bring together people who do not normally talk to one another mm -hmm. and to ask them to sort of stretch their intellectual efforts. So if you're an intellectual, you are going to be asked to participate in art making um, practices. And if you're an artist, to um, sit and listen to papers. And the call for participants um, like exp expressly asked that anyone who was um, applying should be open to being at this conference the entire time mm -hmm. and be open to participating to all of the um all of to the all of the areas because yeah. i'm notorious like if i have to go to a conference i just want to go to my thing and i want to hide in my room so <laughs> it's like the worst because i don't like to do that but um but at any rate it ended up forming into this huge sort of festival uh -huh. That included live performance and scholarly um, presentations, and then it all got zapped because of COVID. And um, and then I was required to sort of rethink what I wanted to do. As Rivka mentioned, um, performance kind of we didn't know what to do with it. We still are kind of making our way towards what performance looks like and how we how we engage with audiences. And so um, yeah, it was a a summer of a lot of opportunities for very heavy thinking, right? Social justice issues, um, uh, healthcare issues, mm -hmm. like who, and more importantly, who matters most to us? If we have mm -hmm. to choose our bubble, who's in our, who's mm -hmm. in our bubble? And mm -hmm. it allowed me to think about this project more deeply because I, I was able to slow down the train that was the conference. And mm -hmm. what I found is that um, I was less interested in, um, sort of breaking discourse mm -hmm. as the name revolution would um, describe because I felt like there were plenty of other people being revolutionary in the world <laughs> in the past several months and that I was more interested in looking to see what sort of common threads um, mm -hmm. um, exist between differing practitioners. So the project became possessing a common logic where I was um, I pair up a thinker and a, and a creative practitioner or people who are a little bit of both as in the case here and um, yeah, introduce them and see if I can get a dialogue going mm -hmm. and then seeing what a collaboration could look like between mm. those people and a convolution. 
<laughs> yes. Instead yes, of no, a con a convolution instead of a revolution. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, honestly, I have found that found this to be so much more fulfilling. Mm-hmm. I mean, the conference was like getting everyone booked and making sure all the panels were taken care of, and I'm a very I'm a very big planner. But in this, I have really enjoyed just. I, so lucky to know so many incredibly talented people to sort of put them together and be like blossom together and sometimes the collaborations have worked well um sometimes they haven't but that's mm-hmm. sort of one um creative practices yeah and um yeah so um this um this particular presentation the order of flow is the fifth and six um fifth of six presentations um the other the previous four started in April. They're mm-hmm. all available on YouTube, so we will share that information at the end. Yes. Awesome. So, um, and this is my first in-person presentation. The rest have been over Zoom, and so mm-hmm. I was delighted when the both of you said, "You know, we want to hold off on scheduling a Zoom presentation. We want to wait until bodies can be together and we mm-hmm. can truly collaborate as humans in a community." So. It, it was very exciting to hear that that's how y'all wanted to proceed. Yeah, and for me, it's been a really awesome collaboration. I usually, you know, when I'm doing stuff, organizing things, the thing that's been really uh, beautiful for me, and Rivka, I've got a couple of questions for you, but the thing that's been really beautiful for me is I there have been, there's one time where I was feeling a little bit down and couldn't talk, but every time we had a scheduled meeting, I knew that I'd walk away from it energized. Uh, and, and so that's always been really good. You know, all of the talks I've had with either of you together or separately have always left me thinking more, uh, and even writing poetry and doing things like that. So that's, for me, that's the ideal convolution, uh, and and collaboration. Uh, Rivka, I'm, 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 uh, jump in and say that I think that, I think the fact that we wanted to do a live yeah. uh, in-person collaboration really speaks to the the energy that we all have mm-hmm. with each other, um, and that you and I, Maggie, when we first had our you know initial conversations about what what could we do, mm-hmm. um, what do we have in common, what could we share with each other that we we don't know anything about. I didn't know anything about tarot. Um, or glossolalia before this started, and I'm learning a lot and really enjoying that process and seeing how it it can come into the, the live performance that we're planning. Right. I am too. And, I think it's going to be really exciting. Yeah. And, and like, it would have been great just to even have a, a live performance that, you know, that we enjoy, have, you know, produced here without you being able to come into town, but it just so yeah. happened that now you're going to be here in person, which is really a Yeah, when we first started talking, we didn't know if I'd be able to be there because we right. were trying to figure out how things are going, and then, you know, there was the quick vaccine rollout, and it all kind of began to change and, and get better, so I really like that. Now, uh, what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to read the first little thing from our press release, just so people know when we say order of flow, what the hell are we talking about? So we're doing this thing, Order of Flow, 
and uh, just throw the press release, dancer and choreographer Rivka French of Houston and philosopher Maggie Malady of Denton are presenting Order of Flow, a queer-focused interdisciplinary performance and installation curated by artistic researcher Jeanette Joy Harris on May 15th at 7.30 p.m., at a private residence in, in the Montrose district. Drawing on themes from queer theory and responding to COVID-19, Order of Flow playfully dances along the lines of destiny at the intersection of bodily motion and mindful emotion, uh, melting the presentations of drag, queer bodies, and weird minds. Order of Flow transimagines dance, tarot, poetry, and glossolalia. The evening welcomes a co-revelation of dancers thinking, philosophers moving, and audiences emerging. I don't know who wrote that, but that's pretty. <laughs> it is pretty. I wrote that. I, with, with Rivka and I wrote that together. <laughs> yes, it had nothing to do with me. Um, and Joy I, I, offered commentary. I always have that. <laughs> There's never a lack of commentary here. Um, what, I, what I wanted to say is that... I think one of the things that we all have in common, which is so inspiring, because I too have felt really energized after our calls, is that we're all involved in pretty, you know, academic stuff. We're thinking mm -hmm. about books and theories and all sorts of stuff. But mm -hmm. at the heart of it, we're all interested in sort of putting philosophy into the world. So practicing mm -hmm. our thinking, not just writing about our thinking or reporting yeah. on other people who are writing about thinking. Right. Um, and this is something that Maggie and I have talked about for over 20 years, right? Yeah. The difference between doing philosophy and writing about philosophy and how important it is for us to take the time to act out our mm -hmm. thoughts and yeah. not in a way that's necessarily performative in this caricature-like way, but to, to, to sort of have the bravery and the courage to say, okay, if this is the world that I'm, I'm reading about and writing mm -hmm. about right now, what does that world look like in real life? If right. I sort of move through the world in this mindset, how compelling is this frame? How compelling is this framework and how right. do my actions with others, how are they, um, how do I impact others through my actions? Right. And, and so I, I really like, I really appreciate that with you, Maggie, and we've talked about that for years, but what I found with Rivka as well is that um, Rivka is this sort of multi-layered mm -hmm. artist who is very concerned with technique and dance history yeah. and, um, and dance ethnography, but is also sort of trying to enact these um, like theoretical ideas and mm -hmm. like having the courage to like having the courage to do that. I, I saw Rivka present um, as Andrew, Androzine, sorry, mm -hmm. <laughs> as Androzine um, a couple of weeks ago. And I was completely humbled by the bravery to try to do something completely different mm -hmm. in a space. Um, and just to say, I'm going to just try this and see what happens and it'll either be great or it won't be great, but fuck it. I'm going to do it. And it was, yes. I mean, honestly, I was moved to tears because like, oh my God, Aww. this is what it is to make art, right? This is what art making awesome. is. It's not like this will be a beautiful thing for me to sell. It would be great for me to sell tickets, right? It was like, it was true, true art making. So That's both good. of you, I feel like are engaged in these forms of thinking and acting that are, about as authentic as yeah. possible. Authentic um, work. 
instead mm-hmm. authentic work work yes. is work in the the more kind of arentian sense of making something making something right rivka tell me how did you become a dancer oh funny story so my uh my whole young adulthood childhood i didn't do anything related to dance or even athletics so mm-hmm. i was just like a a bookworm, nerd, punk rock kid um, in high in junior high, high school, and hated sports. And then I went to college and was dating a musician and, and saw just how in love with music they were. Mm-hmm. And and I wanted that kind of passion for myself. I was an English major at the time and, uh, you know, just really loved reading and writing, but I didn't feel super engaged yeah. with that and thought, well, maybe I'll be a professor or a writer. I don't know. So I, I just took a semester to take only electives um, and, and tried a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. And acting was fun and pretty easy. Singing was fun, but I was terrible at it. Um, and uh, in ballet, I, on a whim, I walked into a ballet class and I was terrible at it, but really fell in love with the movement and uh, and also the ballerina at the front of the room who I yeah. dated. And it was my first lady love. Um, so I sort of got in touch with my queerness and my love of, of dance. And there, when you look back, you know, at, at, at the, the glimpses of through your life of like, wow, the, the five times I was happiest in my childhood and teen years was, were when I was dancing, yeah. you know, at a concert or um, with friends or by myself. Mm-hmm. You know, and you remember those things, but you didn't put them together until you found it and you acknowledged to yourself, like, right. this is it, this is my path. And so mm-hmm. after ballet, I, I knew that wasn't the thing that would really hold me, but I found modern dance, which yeah. was, you know, just everything. It, it expresses the depth and breadth of humanity in ways that feel really good in my body and are really fun for me to watch and do. So I've been a contemporary modern dancer and choreographer ever since, but I've always, my first memory of choreographing was like when I was three. You know, so I've always been a choreographer as well. Um, it's right. always been interesting to me to organize bodies and um, and create shapes and patterns and um, and express my ideas through through choreography. I so think. Yeah, so do you I, you actually try to write through your right? I mean, that's literally choreography means writing in dance, right, or something like that. So. Well, can notate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it really is about expressing ideas through through the poetry of the human body. Right. And when you when you found yourself in COVID pandemic, you you pivoted or what is it pirouetted to uh, <laughs> <laughs> to going to uh, drag bars uh, to do performances. Can you just talk a little bit about your initial reception doing drag and being at the being at those locations? And I lost you for a second. Oh, I said that's cool. <clears throat> I said, can you speak for us for a little bit about your initial reception when you started to do drag and started, you know, going into the those that those environments and and like your initial impressions of being there and the differences between theater and, and stage yeah. and that and the, those the different kinds of stages. Yeah, well, being the choreographer that I 
am and have been over the years. I've, I've performed in a lot of theaters, but also gallery spaces and site-specific, um, and I've made dance mm -hmm. films, and I've, I've danced, you know, outside on concrete, and, and even in bars, like mm -hmm. my dance company performed at Numbers Nightclub several times. Um, so I'm, I'm used to performing in different kinds of environments, and mm -hmm. I do prefer the theater setting in general because people have paid money and sat down and they're focused on you and they tend to not be super drunk and um they're, they're willing to give you their full attention um but there's so much value in, in performing at a bar yeah. or an outdoor space where people are walking around or in a gallery where they're also you know moving through it and looking at the art and um creating an environment on stage or within within the atmosphere uh, with the audience um, is, is incredibly interesting and it's a challenge, but it's also an opportunity to mm. um, get over my own sort of like, I want to be on stage and, and only see the lights and not see their faces and just be able to focus on right. what I'm doing. It changes the interaction a lot. So, and then, you know, I, I was actually saying at the, one of the salons I went to at Joy's house, um, you know, it's a very different world to go into a bar where people are maybe paying attention, maybe not. If they are paying attention, they're trying to tip you dollars, you know, while you're doing your choreography and you're trying to remember the lyrics of the song. <laughs> so, you know, all that. Is... That's very different from the theater that people come up and throw dollar bills at you. That's, a... <laughs> I would yeah. imagine. Yeah. of lip syncing while you're trying to remember choreography right um, and that's really yeah i mean how, there have been many times as a choreographer where I've, I've had to take the lyrics out of a song because it would be just distracting, distracting. in my uh in my piece mm -hmm. or it just wouldn't add anything and so really focusing on the lyrics and the poetry of the song is, mm -hmm. is kind of fun too that's awesome just a whole new world. It is, a, isn't it? it. I, I remember the first time that I ever walked into a gay bar. This is going to be one of those moments where y'all might need to pull me back from the edge. I, I remember the first time I ever walked into a gay bar. <laughs> I had driven from Waxahachie to, to Cedar Springs and parked wow. my 76 Catalina. This was in 1987, I think. Uh, and parked my uh, 76 Pontiac Catalina somewhere that I thought that I'd remember it because I figured I was going to get drunk. But it was really early because I didn't know you don't go to a gay bar before 9 o'clock if you want there to be people there. And so I got to the old plantation, uh, which is something else now, and uh, the village station is what it turned into, and now it's something else. Anyway, I got there. Uh, the place was painted all in black, with neon weird star designs on the sides. And I was like, what's this got to do with an old plantation? I don't understand it. Nobody was there besides me and a guy that had a, that, a guy who had a fan about as big as he was. And he was just dancing in circles on the floor, just having the best time. <laughs> and it took two hours for anybody else to show up besides wow. the bartenders. <laughs> I got to know him. It was a really, I never met him, but I just watched, you know, it was my first. And then later on that night, I, uh, 
I danced in a gay bar for the first time by, you know, I was by myself and I was just trying to find people to hook up with. Okay. So that's the end of that story. But, uh, I'm reminded though of dancing in bars, of dancing with joy and, uh, joy. I actually, you know, your background, you mentioned it in passing, but your background, when I met you, it was actually through, uh, Sue Angeles. Uh, who was your co-student uh, at TWU in the dance program, wasn't she? No. <laughs> I thought that she was, I thought you were in the dance program. I was, but that's not how we met. Was it through Courtney? We met through Courtney, yes. We met at uh, Karma. Yeah, but I thought that, that you'd come there to see Sue for some reason. And then, yeah. no, you were there with Courtney. Okay. Well, I was there with Karen. I mean, this is... With Karen. Who, yeah. Yeah, yes. I remember so Karen. What, so what happened is that my first year at um, at TWU, I, I danced. So I had a background in, um, background in modern and ballet. And I had spent a summer in New York um, mm. with a summer residency with a ballet company. And um, got to Denton, and I tried out the dance department, and I found that it wasn't very, to be honest, intellectually rigorous. They were very concerned with mm -hmm. technique, but when you wanted to start, what you were talking about, choreography is the writing of movement, right? Mm -hmm. They were just not yeah. interested in that, which is frustrating. Um, but then it was, it, was, it was fun because I started doing social dance. And so Yeah, Karen I remember that. I, uh, yes, Roberta so Gomez. Yes, yes. 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 So, um, so it was. I forget that I wanted to say Tom's Diner. That's hysterical. Um, oh no, it's Jim's I, Diner. Jim's Diner. Yes. yes. Jim's Diner. It, there was a, a Latin jazz band that yeah. would play on the patio on Wednesday or Thursday nights, and so my friend um, Karen and I and other people would go and we'd like dance in the alley, basically, yeah. right? And that's how I met Courtney, and that's how I met. You and uh, some other That makes people. sense. That makes but sense. But it's it started out dancing in the street, right? Well, <laughs> that's the best place to dance, really, besides yeah. the gay bars, to dance in the streets. <laughs> uh, now, and here's the thing about yeah. drag that I find so compelling and beautiful is that it's an affirmation of of our empowerment mm -hmm. as people as you know not just queer people yeah but in general it gives it gives everyone permission to say whatever the hell they want to say and be whoever the hell they want to be and it's it's you know afab <clears throat> assigned female at birth and amab assigned male at birth people going on stage and saying yeah i'm a man and i'm a fucking woman yeah and i'm everything in between and i'm neither you know <laughs> And I get to be glamorous, but I can also, you know, be um, scary. Mm -hmm. I can be really theatrical. I can be really comic. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's completely open and free. And it started out as sort of like a revolutionary, like this is illegal, but we're going to do it anyway because it expresses who we are and things we want to say and how we want to look and feel. Um, and I think that's one reason why the gay community protects that and cherishes it so much yeah. because it it really was a way to like fight for our rights in the beginning and now it's a way to showcase mm -hmm. our versatility, our uh, creativity 
and to lead the way for straight people mm-hmm. and heteronormative cis people to just relax a little bit and yeah. like just freaking understand that they that, that like this life is constant you're constantly evolving you can wear a dress one mm-hmm. day and pants the next you can wear makeup and then not you you're not limited by society's expectations right. for gender or your sexuality and you get to you get to change anything you want at any time you want right and it can be beautiful and fun and messy and and you know tragic and hilarious all at one whatever you you know and I think to be is okay. I think drag. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead, Joy. It's interesting because <clears throat> I had a very when I got into social dance, um, had a very um, I had a I was thinking a lot about gender because mm-hmm. I am I mean I'm bossy a little bit, and so when I started um, when I started at TW, we took this women's studies class, and it's mm. like women are like this, and men are like this, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm not a woman. <laughs> I got this like opinionated, yes. bossy, controlling. I was really confused by that, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and so when we got to social dance, there are these roles and these these rules, right? Like the man does one thing, the woman does another thing. Tango's really great about being about being more fluid with that. Yeah, I was gonna but say. But what I what I found interesting about doing that is I was like, no, like if I am teaching, because I taught, if I'm teaching someone to dance, like teaching them steps and how to improv, like I am leading them and they are following me. And then when I'm dancing with a man like I am following him and I learned how to understand how to flip those roles where sometimes mm-hmm. it was appropriate for me to lead and sometimes it was appropriate me- for me to follow mm-hmm. and that became quite freeing for me because if uh, coming from a dance background and I choreographed as well it's like no we will do this right now we'll do this we'll do this and this and this is the timing and this is the gesture and this is what your face should look like right. and so dance was totally exhausting to me <laughs> so getting to do social dance where there were these rules to work within allowed me to like really have a much more it sounds sort of counterintuitive but had a much more dynamic understanding of what those roles are and like what I could play with as a woman so if I'm this intellectual bookwormish type person like no I can like fucking shake my ass and it is all it is all great so it freed it's again it kind of counterintuitive but it really allowed me to be to think more freely about what like where I was coming from and what mm-hmm. it meant what it means to be because I'm a hetero woman like what that meant right for me. right well and you and Karen were all the only people who were ever able to get me to dance a little bit in a in a way that I just let y'all I would let y'all lead and I'd be like okay y'all yes. lead and I'll do what I'm doing and then it's like you show me how to do the moves and y'all lead and don't don't I, I'm never gonna lead but y'all lead and yeah. you're the only people who ever got me to look like I knew how to dance outside of, you know, moving myself around at the well, gay bar. and that's the, the, that's the thing bar. that's cool is that, like, yeah. a lot of times, especially, you know, a lot of times men don't want to dance, right? Mm-hmm. So I would get to, like, lead these women, right? Because I, I could lead I could lead these women in a way that they, they have never danced with a man before, yes. right? And they're like, oh, my gosh, I can dance. And, oh, my gosh, I feel so beautiful. I'm like, yes. 
You just need to dance with a woman. <laughs> well, because what would be worse than dancing with a man who A, doesn't like to dance, and B, doesn't really dance well, and then he's supposed to be the leader in the situation? I think that dance is obviously about some kind of fluidity. It's about yeah. some kind I mean, obviously, you know, there are moments where it's, it's about some kind of maybe static control, but mostly it's about a kind of fluidity of, of motion, and that's just not toxic masculinity. That's that's like the opposite of toxic masculinity. Well, it can be. It can yeah, be. Like yeah. if, depending on the kind of dance that you're doing, there's like this idea that men can hold you and grab you in a way that's like really quite icky. Uh -huh. Um, but I, I don't. I, again, like I, I found it very. Um, in many ways, I found it very empowering right. um, in a sense and i liked i like leading and following so i could do mm -hmm. i could do both and it was yeah it was, well, and, was really fun and good teaching and good you know should be that i mean if you're if you really are into the pedagogy of the oppressed uh paulo Freire, bell hooks people like that you know one of the things that you know whoever's teaching needs to be open to being a student and who's ever a student needs to be open to being a teacher so that there's a, a flow back and forth, right? It's not just, oh, I'm a teacher and I have all this knowledge. If you're not awakening in the other person something that they can show you back, then you're not really being a very authentic teacher. So, you know, Rivka, how, how has the, let's talk a little bit about the people that are gonna be joining us uh, for the order of flow. Uh, how's, how's it been working with them? Have you enjoyed it? and? Yeah, it's been cool. I uh, I compiled a group of um, six people, five of whom are going to be in this show um, with me, and the the other one can only do the May thirtieth show at the Blacker, which will be very mm. similar to this one, but without mm. Maggie, sadly. Um, but this is this is the first one we're all doing together, and so it it varies from. Um, my friend Michelle Reyes, who is also a contemporary dancer, mm -hmm. who's um, just getting into um, exploring the world of drag, people like that, that's mm -hmm. me and Michelle. I'm a little further into my drag exploration because um, I've, I've picked a name <laughs> and I've done a few performances and like... There are um, always steps to everything, right? Just... I guess so, yeah. But yeah. it's not, you know, it's not a race. And, <laughs> and then from, from that to... A, contortionist named Kayla uh -huh. who does drag performance um, and a Bucho dancer named Shyla uh, Salas who has is has a duet partner and they together are Gemini and oh, yeah. they do um, non-binary Bucho inspired performance art mm. um, and so Shyla will be joining us without Marco for this piece and mm. then We've got Belial, um, Matt, who's, that's their stage name, and Maddie is their um, legal name, and mm -hmm. she's a trans drag performer who um, who does a lot of body modification type of um, bloodletting and mm. uh, really sort of tragic magic kind yeah. of Yeah, 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 yeah. And so that there will be some body stapling going on as, as part of her piece. And then, huh. and also Shyla is going to be emerging from a really beautiful cocoon prop that she's creating. Oh, that um, sounds awesome. Yeah. And then there's also a performance artist named Urethra Burns, who's a drag performer 
that incorporates a lot of their their resident artists at um, Fox 13 and oh. they incorporate a lot of really cool visual art mm. and props into their pieces um, and so there's going to be some some paint in a in a plexiglass box that I'm, I'm hearing about and some cool designs being painted while they are singing and performing inside the box yeah and this um, all sounds awesome yeah yeah and then i feel like i'm forgetting one person but is that it me kayla shyla uh belial urethra and that's only five there's one more it'll come to me or i can look it up while yeah well uh the I was reminded when you were uh, mentioning everybody of the very first time I ever walked into a drag bar, and I was reminded of the reaction that I had two years ago, I guess, the first time that I heard that women were doing drag, but not as kings, but just, you know, gland and, you know, film extra filmed or, you know, whatever the case may be. And then, of course, now we that was just a couple of years ago. And I was so shocked at the idea. I was like, I can't. you know, it's it's weird how you can get ingrained in a certain kind of thing. And, you know, when I did finally come out of the closet uh, back in 87, uh, I was um going to a drag bar. So I went my first time to go to a gay bar was that horrible old plantation village station thing with the, watching the guy you know dance with his own fan for an hour. But <laughs> then I decided to go someplace that had entertainment and I went to this place called La Cage Full or La Cage, excuse me. Uh, La Follet's, La Follet's. La Cage was the porn place next door. So uh <laughs> And it was, but it was called La Foles, La, La Follet or La Foles. And it was the first drag bar that Dallas had had in 20 years that was just dedicated to drag. Because at that time in 87, drag queens were still treated like, uh, in one sense, like black folks would have been treated 50, you know, 20 years before that in the 60s. It's like, y'all can entertain here, but you can't come in the bar and drag. Wow. Uh, and so they created their own. So like, you know, the old plantation would not let you in if you were in drag. And a lot of the, the bigger bars, like the mining company and stuff, they wouldn't let you in if you were in drag. You had to be dressed like a boy. And they didn't like to let in lesbians, but they would. But that, right? So it wasn't until a little bit later. Now, if there was a show, if the drag queens had a show, then they could get in. But they came through the back door, not through the front door. Oh, wow. Uh, it's very interesting, actually, when you think about it, because, you know, over half of the queens in Dallas were black anyway. So, you know, it kind of makes you wonder how much of it actually was a residual of racism as well yeah. as... in the se- And I'll admit, when I first came out of the closet and before I started hanging out with the drag queens at, uh, at La Follet, uh, I had a very negative homophobic opinion of Nelly men. Yeah. Uh, yeah like they're, and, they're making us look bad. Yeah, and that kind of thing. It's like be a man, you're not a woman, that kind of shit. So this is the ways that of course we see that one of the things that we're doing, I think, with order of flow, it's not just 
the demons of there's lots of demons that are being exercised it's not just the covid pandemic demon it's not just the post-trump demon but it's you know there's a lot of of uh queer phobia and transphobia inculcated into all of us Mm -hmm. so that even a gay man can be homophobic and certainly a gay man can or gay woman and and uh you know or you know trans certainly transphobic that was something that i didn't even want to recognize until a decade ago so you know it's a uh it's an interesting thing to like get in and work through a creative process it's so different than trying to construct an argument about it because the argument has to look at something and say, here's this thing and here's the logical consequences and here's this and here's this. And it's got this sort of linearity to it that makes it all sound like you could wrap it up in a bow and walk away from it. So one of the things that I think is, that I think is interesting about the show that y'all are putting on is that there's this, I feel like there's this idea for heteronormative people that they're like being so cool if they go to a drag show well, it shows true. like how yeah. enlightened and like open and you know that they are because i've had i've had experiences where i've taken people to shows and they're not at all interested in the theatricality of it mm-hmm. like the beautiful singing right and the costumes and everything that's spectacular and it's like yeah i went to a drag show while i was in new york like it's this weird yeah. sort of this weird thing right Mm-hmm. And like so bragging rights, a little bit. Dragging yeah. 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 Dragging yeah. rights. It's really weird, right? No, so, it is weird. So what I love about this is that there is so much thoughtfulness behind this. Mm-hmm. And like, kind of, if you're, if the, if the people who are coming to the show are sort of, I don't want to say they're being required, but there's this, it's a different sort of mm-hmm. situation where there's, it's much more dialectic. And I like that. I like that it's not, not that there's not a place for drag in so many different contexts, but I like that this particular environment is mm-hmm. very thoughtful and I can't wait to have that we're having the talk back at the end of the show, like the questions that people have. Mm-hmm. And maybe we'll have people that this is their first experience of drag and that would be great. And I, yeah, I look forward to what people have to say, but I do, I do worry or it does kind of make me cringe for the, the dragging rights. Like, I love that. <laughs> I love that. That's something you're always yeah. dealing with, though, when you're dealing with, uh, you know, uh, I could I could say I have bragging rights that I encouraged you as a woman 25 years ago to stick stick to philosophy. It's so easy for us, especially uh, white folks, to, uh, you know, kind of pick up the progressive, sometimes liberal notion of look how tolerant I am. Look how yeah. that's that's always in it. But you, yeah. it's OK because that's where it starts. What you want to do is move people from being tolerant, which is actually a top-down thing. You can only be tolerant if you have power and you decide to not use it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we want to do is is to get people to see, oh, okay, now you're being tolerant. Let's flip that and horizontalize it. Now just be fucking hospitable. Open your arms and don't worry about the power differential. You're not doing anything big. It's what all people should be hospitable to each other. Uh, this is a Derrida yeah. kind of thing. <clears throat> yeah, I was gonna yeah. say it's Derrida, yeah. yeah. And and to just uh, add to your uh, bringing up what we've all come through and the, the demons that we're exercising, um, I think that the, the pandemic was an opportunity for me to really look at 
hierarchy mm-hmm. in general. And mm-hmm. so with queer dance theory, one of one of the um, assertions of queer dance theory is that all dance is is of equal import, including social dance mm-hmm. and every type of technique. So yeah. ballet is to hip hop is to right. um, cha cha. You know, they're all equally valid and mm-hmm. important and and. Um, and if you apply that to so many structures and preconceptions and old beliefs, um, it really it really gives you an opportunity to yeah. be hospitable and to forgive yourself for all of your old yeah. um, ingrained beliefs and patterns that don't serve you. That is an excellent point. I'm sorry for interrupting you. But how do you become yeah. hospitable to yourself? Yeah. Not just yeah. tolerate the fact that you're queer, that you're this, that you're that, but actually welcome it and be yeah. like, yeah. come on in, you yeah, ADHD, read, queer, asexual bastard. Be proud of be, and welcome. Yeah. I read an article that was titled, <clears throat> We're All Trans Now. Yeah. And it was like mind-blowingly liberating mm-hmm. and opening in a way that um, that I think... And just to explain what the article said, it, it, it was saying, like, look, if you're a woman that wears pants, call yourself trans, you know? If you're a man right. that um, wants to be in touch with his sensitive emotional side, call yourself trans. Like, we can all just accept that we're trans on some level and that we're breaking through barriers well, of yes. gender binary. And it, the same goes for we all have mental health issues now. It would be impossible to live in our society and not be neurodivergent, despite how everybody, I mean, to to the point that neurodivergence is the normality, where neurotypicality is the divergence, but whatever, you know, uh, it's always about that kind of thing. And I think that uh, also, uh, you know, with the trans issue of... You know, of course, always you want to be really careful so that you don't take oxygen away from people who are actually transitioning. But at the same time, it is true. And this is why I've said, stop resisting, uh, as the mystics will tell you, what you resist persists. But now we're all, if we can transist. So I see this as a kind of, what we're doing with the order of flow and uh, possessing a common logic is transistence. It's an attempt to stand beyond the the shit that we normally stand in rather than to stand back, which is resistance would be standing back so that the thing, you know, and the problem with that is is that you're always in this weird relation to what's persisting. But if you can just say, well, that shouldn't be there in the first place, so fuck that, and then just, <laughs> just yeah. jump over it and just say, I'm not even going to deal with it anymore. Go, go play with yourselves in the corner. I've got things to trans I'm going to transist by by showing you that I can overcome the fact that I have systemic sexism systemic racism systemic you know and all the rest of that shit and I'm just really not going to deal with you right now and, and you know unless I absolutely have to unless you just get in my face but otherwise I've got other things I think that that's the problem sort of with with feminism is that first of all when you say feminism like who actually even knows what that means because there's so many right. different attitudes housed within feminism but in in what caused me what i mentioned earlier when i first got to school is like oh i can't be a feminist 
because I don't value quilting and like being like, you know, do you know what I mean? You guys I, I, I get it. Yeah, like, 25 years like, ago, it was, yes. Right, right. I was like, oh my God, I don't know about this. Um, and, and so to see this transformation and how to, to my mind, queer studies is so much more, um, so much more powerful because you're not just talking about what it means to be a man or a woman and sitting on either side. And I know Rivka and I have both have talked about this, like using mental illness, right, as an example, or there's so mm. many different things. You're yeah. either well or you're not well. You're either this or that. And so I think that when we think of feminism in the context of queer studies, instead of them being separate, right. we can have a much more nuanced conversation about what, you know, the sort of the hostility that comes from othering, right? Those sort yeah. of negative power struggle with othering. So I've, I found that to be, I mean, I remember when I found Judith Butler in graduate school, I was like, oh, yeah. And it's a, it's a better way of, I think she, especially if you start with her, it's a better way of thinking these things through so that, because one of the problems that we always have, and we're going to have to round things off now, but uh, one of the problems we always have in everything that we do is that as soon as a concept becomes clear enough that it's marketable, it starts it, it gets captured by the gravity well of, of uh, whatever the operating system of capitalism is at the time. Right now it's neoliberalism. And so very carefully over the, the birth of neoliberalism, one of the things that was going on was there was a kind of official feminism, which had been captured into the gravity well of the universities in some areas, uh, mm. which we now realize is actually the way that a lot of white women were able to leverage a certain power uh, while oppressing gay folks, trans folks, and, and people of color. So oh. it's, uh, you know, which totally goes against a lot of the crap that, you know, from Simone de Beauvoir and Hannah Arendt up through the, the 70s that they were actually talking about. So, so I think that that's one issue. And one of the great things about queer studies is the idea that um, everything is queerable, that nothing can, right, that everything can be brought into it. So what I want to do now, I'm going to have to go because we have to go celebrate a late Mother's Day with my husband's mom. But uh, what I want to do now is just have you both say a couple of, you know, just a couple of things, last things that you want to get on the record before we go. Uh, I'll say right now, just as a reminder, that there will be links to the Eventbrite for this uh, this thing we're doing on May 15th uh, in the Montrose. There will be links to the Facebook uh, event, and uh, there will also be links to uh, Possessing a Common Logic's YouTube presence. That'll all be inside of the thing. But what I'd like to do is let Rivka and then Joy have the last couple of words here. Rivka, is there something that we didn't touch on or that you thought we needed to go back to? Um, yeah, actually, <clears throat> no, I feel like it got summed up really well. I just want to express gratitude for this opportunity to be together and make art. Um, and that can that can look a lot of ways. And it's, it's looked, you know, it's shown up as virtual creativity, art making, collaboration over the past year a lot and to, mm -hmm. to have this opportunity to be in person is really a gift. Yeah, so, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Can't wait. It, it is a gift from the encompassing force. 
Uh, Joy, <laughs> I've let you have the last word as the the person who brought all this about and the person who's creating the group or the yes. the event. So lucky to know both of you and get to work with both of you. Just brilliance and compassion and gracefulness. Like I so feel so honored to have you participating and. I guess if I had to make a final remark, it would be we should be considering in the context of performance practices, sort of what, what, what Rivka said, that performance mm -hmm. practice is this very broad thing mm -hmm. that doesn't have to um, sort of make one form of performance more important than another, that performance has this unique ability to right. engage people in a way that other art forms cannot. And so we should constantly be testing and sort of pushing um, pushing outwards on what performance can be and how it can make our communities our communities better through different types of dialogue yeah i think so well thank you very much i'm really uh honored actually to know y'all and to work with y'all and uh i'm so looking forward to getting to give y'all a hug after all this time uh joy it's been over a year and a half since i gave you a hug and rivka i've never given you a hug so if you were letting me i would look happy to do it uh, so <laughs> <I'm bored. laughs> I'll see y'all Thursday night at the, uh, little thing we're going to have the little dinner party we're going to have. And, uh, all right. Love you guys. And I'll talk to you later. Thank you. Thanks to everyone who stuck with today's mind walking. I hope you'll keep coming back. I know I have a fairly meandering way with my thinkering, but that's the best method to hunt and forage for the most beautiful things. All feedback and engagement is most welcome. So be sure to drop me a line, maggie at callmemaggie.com. Especially if there's a philosophical subject you're intrigued by or just want to let me know what you yourself are thinking about. That's maggie at callmemaggie.com. And visit my website as soon as you have a chance, callmemaggie.com. Finally, if you're one of my students, please be sure that you're taking notes and thinking about how this material fits in with your course. If you're not one of my current students enrolled at university, please consider becoming a Patreon supporter, patreon.com forward slash callmemaggie. There are various levels of support and benefits besides the podcast, and please share this podcast with as many folks as you think would enjoy it. Today's music was a selection from It's Like That Records, recording artists Andre on Purpose and Eleven, The Innards of My Mind.